Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here. Brian Moritz there. And we are happy to be back once again. Another August episode of the podcast and lots going on in the country. Lots going on (laughs) with both important and non-important things. Uh, So we're going to chat about them here. A little bit of an abbreviated version of the show today as the middle of the day and we got other stuff to do. But Brian, first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Looking, uh, looking forward. We have our return to school faculty uh, departmental retreat coming up tomorrow, which is about a week before classes start. So it's kind of the bittersweet. Like it's nice to start getting back in the groove. It's nice to go back. Um, as many of you probably know, I don't live near where I teach, so it's nice to go back to campus and see everyone again and and all that. But uh, but it also means the end to summer, which I know played the smallest fiddle in the world for us faculty members who don't have to work really work in office throughout the summer like people with regular jobs do. But it is always bittersweet to have this come to an end. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we live very close to campus, and I run around the campus every morning almost. So it's uh, it's just nice for me to. It's like the leaves coming back onto the trees. Uh, right. You, know, you see people in the buildings walking around on the sidewalks. I like that. I think that it's certainly for a you know a, a college town. It can get a little bit lonely when you don't right. have that going on. And so it's always good to see the kids back, even though, you know, there's always traffic Armageddon for that whole week that people are coming. In. <laughs> Certainly have right. had that the first few weeks of the first few days of this week. Um, yeah. So where do you want to start today? Uh, we, we had a, <laughs> we had one or two listener questions, but we had some topics we wanted to hit on. And I know that you've written some stuff this week. So maybe we'll just have you kind of get started on, on uh, the direction of things. All right. Well, first we can. Uh, do you have any beer recommendations from the past week or so? No, I don't. Okay. The, the the most exciting beer I had from a palate perspective was probably Bud Light. Uh, so uh, wow. no no recommendations whatsoever. I, I say I actually drank Bud Light this past week too at a graduation party and was surprised at how I don't know inoffensive it was. I yeah. guess is for lack of a better word, like it's not like my favorite beer, but I was like, oh, this is perfectly fine to sit and drink at a when there are no other options or you know at a party or whatever. I, I will, um, I will go ahead and um, put a, a non beer recommendation in, but I discovered the joy of the gin ricky uh, over the course Ooh. of the last couple of weeks, which is a very All simple. Right. It's a very simple drink. It actually originated in Washington DC to try to combat the malarial summers that you face there in the you know the 18th and 19th centuries but it's basically just it's gin uh the juice of a lime and club soda along with some ice and uh okay. no, no sugar no nothing it's just it's very refreshing it helps to ward off scurvy uh it's really <laughs> it's really kind of the perfect summer drink i mean it's not nearly as heavy as like a mint julep or something like that okay um, and it, uh, and the lack of sugar is big for me cause that's, that's kind of my, my food enemy. So it's, right. uh, it's something that I would recommend and, and you really don't taste the gin per se. You can make it with vodka as well. It's okay. very, very versatile. Yes, gin is such a great summer drink. The gin and tonic, obviously kind of one of the, the standards I can recommend, uh, a beer from my favorite brewery switchback out of Vermont they make. Uh, and I picked this up a few weeks ago, a Citra Pills, hmm. uh, which yes. is a Pilsner I've had, style. I've had that. I've had that. Yeah. It's very, very good. Again, very good summer beer. Very good, nice light. Uh, helps deal with the summer. But, uh, but uh, we're yeah. There's uh, there's there's stuff going on in the world since we uh, since we last recorded a bit and a bit. And it's it, it's been interesting. And I wrote a thing about it. And I'll throw a link in show notes on Sports Media Guy. Kind of my I don't know 
my own reflections on what happened in Charlottesville over this past weekend, uh, both from as somebody, you know, as a person, as somebody who tries to be kind of an advocate for uh, an advocate against Nazis, which up until a few weeks ago, I would have thought would have been like everybody. Um, and yeah, uh, as not, someone, not, not a lonely corner by any means. Not, no, no. You know, it's like I, I remember seeing the pictures Friday night when the, the, the first uh, Nazi rally happened, the one with the tiki torches. Um, and it was funny because it just so happened. <laughs> what well, I saw somebody so sorry you refer to that as, as citronella knocked. <laughs> it just I, 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 my instinct was to make jokes, and you know I, I'm always leery about doing that because I you know what the symbolism means, you know what that's about. But my God, they look like the 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 the, uh, the mob at the end, Beauty and the Beast, that's following Gaston, and um and it just so happened that I had watched Indiana Jones and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark that night, like just. That's the movie I decided to watch because Indiana Jones is awesome. And like, it, it just, it always strikes me as like, you know, so many of the people who are, who are on these rallies, they're like, they're the ones who would watch Indiana Jones and root against Indiana Jones and be like, yeah, the Nazi who gets his face melted off. He had a point. He had a, he should get the, why shouldn't he get the, uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant at the end? Um, but then, you know, things went bad and things went really, really bad. And so I don't want to make too light of, of stuff that has happened, but it, it, it has just got me thinking. And then, and then president Trump had that, that press conference and that was a doozy on Tuesday. Um, it was one of those where I would like a lot of people was off Twitter, just offline doing stuff and came back and trying to piece together what had happened. And it, you know, it's kind of the, you know, it's, I, I, I guess it's shocking, not surprising because you're not surprised when anything like this happens. It's not, Oh my God, I can't believe this would happen because you know, we have a long record, both with the president and with our country of, you know, you know, not necessarily the, the, uh, the smoothest race relations and, and dealing with the fallout of the civil war and that, but it's still shocking when it actually happens. Um, and you would link to a few really interesting pieces about this, especially the piece in Vox, which I had read independently and really liked too. So you can get, uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on this along with uh, kind of getting into the stuff from the ringer and, the, and Vox that we had read up this week. Well, okay. So I guess first and foremost, I think the, the, the most ludicrous aspect of this whole thing is how impossible it's been for Trump to come out and just denounce you know, white supremacists and, and, you know, neo-Confederates. And, and it's funny because it's like, there's just this constant doubling down of this particular area. We even saw it this morning where Trump goes on this mini Twitter rant about how terrible it is that, you know, we're we're taking down all of these lovely monuments and, you know, it's like, it's going to make our cities less beautiful. I'm like, right. Plant, plant a tree, for God's sake! Like, I mean, you know, I mean, just, just, or or if, or if people have pointed out, you know, maybe fund the NEA beyond zero and right. you can replace yeah. those. Yeah, but I, look, I, I think that the the take home points for me from from these events, there's a couple of things going on. Um, you know, one, you're you are seeing a, a gradual, I, I think, emboldening of certain groups. Uh, you know, whether they be whatever the labels happen to be, but, but, you know, kind of violent groups that, that seem to have links to fascism and and white nationalism. And it's, what's interesting is, you know, Trump's complete inability to disavow those groups to, to point the finger and say, this is, this is bad. Um, 
regardless of, of any other things going on or regardless of any other input on, on other groups and what they're doing is this is accomplishing, I think, what a lot of people predicted would happen to the Republican Party if they just went along with Trump because they were trying to get agendas passed and they're like, well, it can't be that bad. Like the guy's not going to be that much of a disaster. And and I think, and and he is that much of a disaster. And I think you finally saw the dam break to a large degree over the last few days where almost every legitimate conservative media outlet uh, has now come out with like very strong opposition to Donald Trump specifically. Uh, and, And that's, that's something that, you know, it's, we're still not seeing the politicians doing that. I mean, we're still, you know, we're seeing them coming out against hate, against bigotry, against Nazis, you know, way to take a stand there, guys. But, <laughs> but we're not seeing them come out against specifically Donald Trump. And this this is where I think um, the Republicans find themselves in a hole they can't dig themselves out of because, you know, they're they're terrified of having to go to war with Trump because he's very good with the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what last night I think it was, or this morning he tweeted out something, you know, it was a, it was an anti Jeff flake tweet, so, you know, supporting his opponent in a Senate. And this is a sitting Republican Senator who's voted right. with like 95% of the time. And, you know, and Republicans, uh, there, there's no principles involved here. I mean, nobody's taking a principled stand against racism or against uh, hate groups. They're all taking calculated political stances hoping that this is going to kind of go into the background and subside. And we're just not mm-hmm. seeing that happen because Trump won't let it happen. And, you know, the, the piece that you mentioned that hopefully you put in the show notes, the Vox piece, mm-hmm. you know, this is, it's, a, it's, it's just, it's classic narcissism kind of, you know, writ large on this national stage. And it, to Trump, I think that you can make a compelling argument that it's not even about white nationalism. Like this is not a guy that has like a secret shrine to Hitler in his bedroom or something like that. This is a guy who feels like he's been challenged and won't back down on the challenge. And he's, he's like, you know, he's so wrongheaded in his approach to dealing with that perceived challenge that he's making the Republicans as a whole look like, a group of people that is aiding and abetting racists and, you know, violent white nationalists. And it's like this, like somebody in the Republican caucus has to say, look, if we want to lose every election in, in contested races in 2018, if we want to get wiped out in the presidential election in 2020, this is a great way to go. We should keep doing this. Right. It's, it's funny that piece is really good and it isn't show notes for this episode or will be when it, when it goes lot, when it goes out. Um, and, and the basic gist of the piece, which I found so interesting, and I've been kind of thinking this for a long time, is, you know, you, yes, Trump does have a history of, you know, being, you know, of racism. Let's call it what it is, you know, whether it's through housing, whether it's through the Central Park Five, all the, you know, other, a, a bunch of other things. But the, the piece argues pretty compellingly that Trump is not an idealist. He is not, he does not subscribe to an ism. He's all ego. He's all, you know. You are coming after me, so I'm going to come after you. And that's kind of the lashing out that he did on Tuesday was not a I'm a white supremacist. It was a you you're not you're still challenging me and I'm being perceived as the loser and I need to win on this. And um, and I think that's becoming really clear is that this there's, you know, very much an intellectual and ideological vacuum 
there. There's not, you know, this is not an ideal log. This is, this is an ego log. I don't know that's a word, but it's, you know, he's, he, he's in it for himself. He's not in this for a movement or a party or anything like that. And, you know, that's why he's very, and, and I think we've known that well, all along. And I, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, you're right. But, and now, so this is where, this is where the conversation I think gets a little complicated because um, the Republicans certainly need to be held accountable for allowing this guy who's not a Republican, never has been a Republican mm-hmm. to hijack their presidential primary process and, you know, run for president under their banner and then support him uh, at times in the media. Like, you know, rather than treating this as kind of a hostile takeover, the Republicans did embrace this with open arms. Right. It doesn't mean that this is, necessarily emblematic of the the core of the Republican Party. Now, there, I know there's some people that would argue that uh, that it is. I don't necessarily agree because I don't think that Trump's approached most of what he's doing from that perspective. I mean, there's there's no there's no studied, uh, you know, history of Republicanism or conservatism in this country that Trump is, is reading out of. I mean, he's basically just acting on impulse. And mm-hmm. so I think that from the standpoint of what we see moving forward with this, um, there's two things to watch for. One of them is this idea that the Republicans are, uh, they got to make a decision. And if they're willing, if they're willing to torpedo their party among all, but like the hardcore 25% of the population, because they Mm -hmm. think they can get a couple of legislative things accomplished while Trump's in office, then they're, I mean, then fine. That's the calculus. They're morons if they think that. But the other thing to keep in mind, you know, I heard a lot of comments about that press conference that Trump gave on Tuesday and how people were shocked. People thought it was frightening. Um, you know, people people are using a lot of that sort of language and, you know, and even relatively sober uh, observers of politics said that was the, you know, the, the least presidential press conference we've ever seen out of a president. And I think that that's the other thing that we have to keep coming back to is this idea that the rules, the decorum, the, the method of acting that we've seen out of every American president, even the really bad ones, it always fell within the realm of this is what a president acts like. This is what a president does. Trump right. has zero cares about that. He has, he has zero idea about it. Right. And you do wonder about the long-term ramifications of that. Right. When you, you know, go down the line and say, um, okay, what does this do to the presidency, you know, 20 years from now or even 10 right. years from now? Yeah, that's, that, that, that's fascinating to, to think about. You know, it, it always seems like there is, um, I mean, a few things. For one, I'm kind of getting back to Trump. I always, I feel like a lot of, you know, there are his hardcore supporters. And like, I think there's like a 25%, like very strong, like let's yeah. say his base is 25%, which is not shocking. Let's be honest. Nixon had a 25% approval rating when he was the when, day he when, was when impeached he, the day he resigned he had 25 percent approval he rating. Yeah, he right. wasn't impeached. you know what i meant right yeah. yeah so you know i don't you know so he's always going to have his hardcore his hardcore supporters and i and i just i feel like for a lot of people and i might be making this up but it was always the sense i got there was a sense during the campaign of oh he doesn't mean that stuff like he's just he's a showman he's saying it to get elected and he'll pivot like there was always this talk of when he's going to pivot and be more centrist and kind of do that and i think what we've seen is that that pivot ain't coming and like i don't know if he really believes it but he knows this is what won for him 
And so he's going right. to double down on winning. I also think that the the move today on him tweeting out about the beautiful Confederate monuments and, and, and look, the Confederate monuments are not about heritage. You know, you can, you can read about this stuff. They were built in the 1910s between the 1900s and the 1960s to promote segregation, Jim Crow, and as a reaction against the civil rights movement. Aside the, from the fact that they celebrate people who committed treason and broke apart from the United States government, regardless, they're just um, like they're just like Washington and Jefferson, though, Brian. Oh, I mean, it, 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 oh let's see. I, you you want to if you ever didn't understand what the argument of what the strong RC is, um, I, I, this that that kind of nails it in a nutshell. But like. In a way, like it's Trump does have a lot of skill with the media because now all of a sudden a lot of the debate and talk is about these monuments and the specific monuments. You know, the bigger issues that we were discussing after Saturday, you know, systemic racism, systemic discrimination, the bigger issues, and it kind of focuses it more on, well, we're talking about these statues and, and you know, I, I think supportive of statues or ambivalent to war. I think most people don't really mind the notice that they're there. There's a great quote that I, I was from Confederates in the attic, and it was about one of the Confederate flag controversies. And there, I'm there. Your 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 sounds breaking up. A little, your yeah. sounds breaking up a little bit. Maybe turn your video off and let your let your bandwidth come back. Uh, but keep talking, please. All right, let me. See. A video. Okay. So the, uh, the, let's see, I'm trying to turn my, there we go. That's much um, so, okay. So, um, there were about one of the times the Confederate flag, uh, controversies in South Carolina. And this woman said to the reporter who wrote the book, in the middle of the night and taking it down and not told anybody, nobody would have noticed for months. It was only when you make it a thing that people feel like they have to take sides one way or another. And all, all caps, and I feel like that way about about uh, the monuments too. And it, it's kind of an, an interesting and you know way benefiting move on Trump's part to go like now we're gonna now we're talking about monuments now, and it kind of moves it away from the the the, the, the more where he's on. I mean, he's coyote dangling over the cliff right now, you know, and and instead it moves it to kind of this more concrete, no pun intended, issue of what do we do about monuments and, 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 and collective memory, and it's working. I'm, I'm, my Twitter feed is to be believed, um, to be believed. It's, it's like I said, it's it, it, to watch all this play out and to kind of see, you know, this, you know, the presidency in a way, you know, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, Steve Bannon has talked about like that's yeah. both view of the state and destroy all the all this, and you know, it, it, watching the watching Republican responses to it, you know, they, you know, John McCain now with nothing to lose and has already beat Obama, you know, defeated Obamacare, came out with a very strongly worded statement. Lindsey Graham kind of teed off on Trump today after Trump teed off on him. Um, and I, it, you know, it is th- interesting to think about the, the idea of norms and about how there are these, um, the ways that you're supposed to comport yourself and, yeah. and, 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 you know, kind of going forward, it's interesting because I feel like in a lot of ways, the pre- presidency is like, it's like, a, it's like, uh, the coach of a football team 
string, like a coaching string where like you, when it's on, you know, at the end, you almost fl- always flip flop from somebody, from one person, one type to another. Like if you had an offensive guy and he gets fired or leaves, then you hire a defensive guy to sharp the defense and that, that doesn't work. You go like strict disciplinarian and then you go players coach and it kind of bounces back and forth between opposites. And I feel like that's been happening with the presidency. You know, you had Clinton, uh, you know, you had, let, let's go back to uh, Bush in, in the late 80s, the, the first Bush, you know, kind of very old school Republican, very kind of waspish, old. And who won? And, and then that leads to Bill Clinton, the first baby boomer president, very young, Southern, kind of new, new guard. After the Clinton scandal, it goes to uh, W. Bush, who was, you know, kind of elected on this idea of, you know, family values and traditional morality and, you know, putting honor back in the White House after the the thing. And then after that, after Bush, you go to Obama, very much polar opposite. And then from Obama to Trump, very polar opposite. So I do wonder if, if in a way, uh, 2020 will yield somebody either within a Republican Party or definitely in the Democrats, you know, if the electorate's going to go to a polar opposite to be like, we just want a normal politician. We want kind of those standards and those norms and, and, and back. And, you know, it's one of those things that would be interesting if like Mike Pence runs or if John Kasich runs or something like that, who have very conservative politics and very conservative worldviews and very conservative policies that I think a lot of center left people and even some people with me on the left would be very much against, but they act like a normal, decent human being and not a Nazi supporter. And if that's the bar we're looking at right now, that's both interesting and terrifying. Well, no, I think you're right. Uh, but I also think it's it's something to keep in mind from an electoral uh, policy position. It's why the Democrats, if they're going to capitalize on this, need to keep what you just said in mind. And, you know, the the, the idea of having a broadly appealing and also – you know, personally sober individual as mm-hmm. the nominee for president the next time around for, for both parties, uh, I think is going to be key because I do think there's going to be a tremendous amount of fatigue uh, from Trump. Uh, and I think it's already starting to manifest itself to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. you know, look, I think I think the Republicans find themselves in real trouble from a national perception perspective because they don't really stand for much. Like, you know, this, th- there used to be kind of a clear delineation of what Republicans stood for. And it was, you know, oh, smaller government and it was, you know, individual freedoms and things like that. And yet the people that they've got in office right now, I mean, almost all of Trump's approaches on policy have focused on spending more money, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, you know, building more infrastructure, um, you know, yeah, he wants to junk Obamacare, but he wants to also have health care for everybody. Like there, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. There's no there's no foundation to to um, either Trump's positions or the Republicans positions. And I don't know that because of that, they don't have anything they can lean back on when people accuse them of being virulent racists. Right. You know, they, they there's because. I don't believe that large percentages of people that are Republicans or, or conservatives in this country are actually um, racist in the way that they get accused of being. But there's there's literally nothing that they've got right now on the national level that people could point to um, to say, hey, you know, we're, we're actually believing these things as opposed to these things that you're accusing us of. Right. And, 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 and they've got Trump, who even if he doesn't believe the things that he's saying, I mean, where, where's your justification for saying, oh, 
no, they, you know, Trump really doesn't believe that, even though he's saying it and he's acting like, you know, he needs to defend these these white supremacists. It's like, well, at some point, like whether or not you actually believe it, if you say it enough, that's that becomes your belief system. Right. You know, it, it's kind of like the uh, the the line. I'm, I haven't said this to I, I, I almost tweeted this out. I didn't. But I've seen other people post it. And like, no, not all Republicans are racist in the way that the the demonstrators in Charlottesville were racist. OK, we can understand that. But that some and I think that's true. But I think at some point, you know, if you're a Republican, if you've supported Trump or if you support him, you're not racist. But at some point, if somebody if you look at that and say, eh, I can live with that or look at that and say, but her emails or something like that, then at some point, you know, I hate the word complicit because I, I, I think that's more active than I mean. But at some point you have to own the fact that you looked at this, you look at this and say, yeah, but that's all right. Like that, like, yeah, but I can live with that to get my tax cut plan passed. Well, I can I think, live with, I and, think you're right. I, I, I think that that's a political calculus that every voter makes. And I, I think, right. unfortunately, one of the one of the difficult and I think negative things about social media as it relates to politics is this 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 uh, thought meme going around that if you if you voted Republican, that you are 100% buying into everything that Trump says or does, and it's your responsibility. I mean, it is it is your responsibility from the standpoint of, yeah, you did vote for the guy. But right. I think most people make a, a binary decision based upon what best suits their particular interests. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily buying into the entire platform. I think a lot of Obama voters in 2008, um, you know, that, they may not have uh, have embraced every single aspect of what Obama was planning on doing, but they vote. They wanted to vote for him because something that yeah. they were interested in was going to be represented by that. Right, and, and absolutely. Like, if you do, you ask me, do I own everything? I voted for Obama twice. Was a big supporter. I didn't like his drone program. I don't like the way he cracked down on on, on leaks and freedom of the press and and that. Do I own that? I guess in a way, but yeah, you're right. You, you know, I think that, you know, it was, it was just such, you know, 2016 turning out to be just such a weird choice of election between, you know, it, it kind of comes back down to that. If it had been any other Democrat aside from Hillary Clinton, would she have, how would she have done against Trump? How much of Trump support was basically a, I don't like Trump, but I don't particularly love Trump, but I hate Hillary because of 20 years of media coverage and, pre-existing biases and personal opinions and whatever. Well, do you um, do you think Bernie Sanders would have beaten Trump in the general I, election? I, I don't. I no, don't. I don't either. I, I, mean, I don't. I, I don't either. I mean, and let's be honest. Let's keep remembering Hillary lost by eight by a total of eighty thousand votes in three states, and right. she lost by less than a Penn State football crowd across three states. You know that switches or moves a little bit. She wins, kind of going away. So yeah. it's one of those things that like. You know, it, it always drives me crazy as, you know, as a Democrat and someone who kind of identifies as left that like, you know, we got to go full bore progressive and like, no, like we got we lost on it. I hate to say that we lost on a technicality, but we kind of did. I mean, she won the popular vote running away. She just lost certain states by minuscule. It was a TKO um, instead of a knockout. It, it was. Yeah, it was like 
it was like the, it was like the football game where like you outgame the other team four hundred to twenty, but like you throw a pick six that gets run back and that's the winning points or something like that. Or you fumble like like some weird turnover thing happens and the other and the other team wins. Yeah. Um. So before we get going, and there's no real smooth pivot from you know the issues we're talking about to anything else, but we do have a reader question uh, from a friend of the show, Mike Narain, listener, um, listener, listener. Question. Listener, viewer, friend of the show, um, can you spend one minute on Darren Ravel and his comment about Chick-fil-A making more money as a result of being closed on Sunday, re-scarcity? So this is referring to the fact that in the new uh, Mercedes-Benz Dome, which is in Atlanta, there's going to be a Chick-fil-A stand. Now, Chick-fil-A, all of its stores, as anybody who's been there knows, are closed on Sunday. Like, chain-wide, they're, they're always closed on Sunday. Now, if you think about this for a second, that a football team in its football stadium has a Chick-fil-A stand, you see where this is going. They're not going to be open for most games. And I have to look up the Darren Ravel quote because I don't follow him. It makes my Twitter feed so much better that I don't follow him um, to see exactly what he said. But if you did say it, I can let you uh, start talking on this while I while I exam while I do my due diligence here. He um he had a his his perspective is basically that. Um, Chick-fil-A, because they're closed on Sunday, that that is actually, it increases the the appetite and the interest in Chick-fil-A and makes people more likely to go shop there on the other six days that they're not closed. Okay. Um, you know, so his, this was the little tweet oh, storm. Okay. For your friends that say Chick-fil-A is losing money by being closed on Sundays, it's the highest grossing Per store chain in the U.S., which is wrong. Um, the average, <laughs> the average. I mean, I mean, if you're going to only take national stores of over a hundred, yeah, sure. But it is not the highest grossing per store chain. The average Chick Fil A grossed four point four million in revenue, more than any other restaurant chain in the U.S. Whataburger was number two at two point seven million. Um, so that's I, I, I had that, thoughts on this. That's his perspective: is that okay. because Chick Fil A is closed on Sunday, that makes people want to get it more often. So go ahead. What are your thoughts? Okay. First of all, um, not I, I, I think it's really – again, I'm not a business person at all. Certainly not you know, one of the 100 most important people to follow on sports business Twitter. But a gross, gro- grossing $4.4 million in revenue, I think, you know, when you, when, when you take that in, oh, that's gross. That's not net. So I was, uh, my, my, my logic is flawed. But I don't know. It, I, you know, for one thing, I think Chick Fil A does well because it has a limited menu, so it does, it, its expenses are down. Um, I think that you know the, the the food is good. People will travel for it. People will like you know people will go out of their way. It kind of kind of has a cult following, and I don't know. I know it, it's it, it seems just such a weird argument. Like they make a lot of money. So that's because they're closed on Sunday and it increases demand. I don't know. There's for one thing, there's no evidence cited here besides just, you know, they make a lot of money. They make a lot of money. So it must be because they're closed on Sunday and it, and it, it, it increases the, I don't know. That's weird. That makes I mean, no sense. Their revenues could be due to a number of things. I mean, they, I don't believe they have a value menu. Um, I don't think so. No. You know, so that compare that to McDonald's or Burger King, mm-hmm. they occupy a unique spot in the marketplace. I mean, they are really the only fast food chicken establishment that isn't like Popeye's right? You know, where, where it's just fried chicken. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? It is a sandwich. It's a sandwich based place. 
It's got fries. It's got nuggets. And it fits a particular niche. The idea that they're not leaving money on the table by being closed 14% of the week is it's silly. I mean, like I, I can't think from a consumer psychology perspective of another product where people are like, oh, I'm happy that's not open today because it really makes me want it tomorrow. Because I don't, I mean, the way that I've always envisioned food, particularly fast food, if I'm driving down the street and I see a place and I'm like, you know, I'm hungry, I'm going to stop there. If it's closed, well, I'm not going to stop there. And the idea that the following day I'm going to be like, man, I really want Chick-fil-A, it doesn't really work. No, no. I mean, maybe there's a few people out there like that, but I think the vast majority of, of American consumers are making choices based upon immediate in the moment convenience. Right. And when you take it out of that context uh, and, and and that's what makes Ravel deciding to, you know, die on this particular hill with this particular issue where the 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 Mercedes-Benz dome is going to be open on days when people can't get Chick-fil-A right. and that's going to somehow not lose them money when they have a captive audience of what, 80,000 people, uh, you know, half of which or more probably want Chick-fil-A and they're not going to sell it. Like it, right. that, that doesn't make any sense. Well, well and also the, the scarcity argument only works when it is only applicable if there are other times when you can get it. Like if I love Chick-fil-A and the fact that I can't go on Sunday makes me want it more, Okay, on a standalone Chick-fil-A on the corner, I can go six other days a week. At a stadium, you have a captive audience. If I want Chick-fil-A, I can't be, well, it's okay. Maybe tomorrow, I'll, two days, I'll come back and get it. Like, you literally are limited to your to your options in there. What I want to know, I didn't read much about this beyond the headlines, but what I want, what I want to know is, why is there a Chick-fil-A stand at a football stadium that's going to be open mostly on Sundays? You know, I mean, it's funny because we have Chick-fil-A at Assembly Hall, our basketball arena here. Okay. And, but yet, you know, on Sundays, they're not open. So, you know, it's not, I mean, how many games do we have this year? Let's see. Um, Because, you know, our basketball schedule just got released. Big deal around here. Um, We've got. Hey, I heard you guys have a new coach. We do have a new coach. (laughs) But we've got we've got two, three home games throughout the course of the year, uh, two of which are in the Big Ten, one of which is the Purdue game, which is the biggest game of the year, and they're mm-hmm. all on Sunday. So you're going to have concession stands that won't be selling their primary product because of this rule. Uh, right. you know, so and I'm look, I'm not making any commentary on whether or not they should be open on Sunday. They're a private business. Actually, I, I, they're, I think they're publicly traded, but that they, you know what? Right. Make your decisions about what you want to do. That's perfectly fine. But the idea that they're not losing money by right. not being open during that time period because it's making people want it, like half of, particularly in stadiums, one of the biggest food sellers is what, Brian? Chicken? Smell. Oh, smell. Oh, okay. You know, if I walk by a closed Chick Fil A, there's no smell coming out of that place. So right. the idea, like the the, the idea of, of engaging the olfactory senses. And being right. able to lure people in just because, man, that chicken sandwich smells good. That's part of the process. Anyway, I, I think we're done with this. But that's – yeah, it's a ludicrous it, argument. It, it is. a it, it is, And it's part for the course for Darren Ravel. Pretty ludicrous argument without well, – yeah. So, I don't know. I uh, We're getting Chick-fil-A up here, which is very exciting. We're going to be getting a Chick-fil-A um, in the Rochester area in the next few months. And there's one coming to Buffalo and. I think there's one coming to Syracuse. They're kind of expanding. Have you never had it? 
Oh God, I've had it a million times. I mean, we, in, your we, in your community? No, we've never had it in the community. This is the first time it's it's coming to upstate New York. Wow. Um, yeah. So what I'm looking forward to, because I'm a Chick Fil A fan, I think the waffle fries. We've talked about this. The waffle fries are over fine, but overrated. The chicken sandwich, perfect, absolute perfection. I um I'm very much waiting for the uh, all the posts and all the tweets about people who go there for the first time and talk about how oh, it's overrated. It's fine, but it's not that great. And it's simply a, a, you know, probably people like me, but a buildup where something is hyped up so much and you go there and your expectation is so kind of high that I think there's a natural, I feel like with people, there's a natural kind of contrarianism to something is so hyped. Is it going to be as good as everyone says it is? And I think that for a, for a lot of people, I think, and this is just anecdotal, but there's a certain kind of contrarianism that like, that's not that good. You know, I've had I had better chicken sandwich at Wendy's the other day or something like that. I don't know. I just kind of feel like I, I feel like I, I cannot wait for all those posts. And there's and- a there's a there's a large segment of the population that just lives to ruin everything for everybody else. Um, the what what aboutism? We kind of you know getting yeah. back to our main topic. The what aboutism? The well, actually, people and yes. yeah, it just um, I don't know. It, it, yeah, so. I'm excited to have them. I'm excited to have them up here. Um, you know, I, I, my wife and I already talked about it. We're gonna wait like six months before we go to the Chick Fil A up here, mainly just so the crowds die down. I've had Chick Fil A. I don't need to spend like an hour waiting in line for Chick Fil A. Um, right. Um, and I also, you know, since we have a kid, we won't be the people who camp out in front of Chick Fil A when it yeah. opens to get Chick Fil A for a year. Never. I mean, um, okay. Well, I didn't realize about the four year thing. That's that is worth yeah. camping for. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not like just free Chick Fil A for the day. Like, no, I give them. I save my. I spend the five dollars, but I believe it's a year for the first people in line or something like that. And now it's a thing. Now it's a huge, huge thing. So. Yeah. Well, well, uh, a robust conversation as always. We appreciate yep. it. Uh, and thank you to Mike Narain for passing that question along. Thanks to all you mm-hmm. folks for watching or listening. Sorry our video went out on us about halfway through, but uh, got to preserve the audio if nothing right. else. Uh, you can catch us at Flipside Pod on Twitter or at VP Moore. It's at Dr. GC. We'll be back sometime. Uh, the, the, this is when the schedule gets a little bit odd and uh, we right. get preempted by, you know, holiday specials and things like that. So, <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll let you know when we're back on the air and we'll come forward to speaking to you again in the future. Brian, thank you for joining me. Thanks for, thanks for having me on this podcast that we co-host. Well, I, 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 was, <laughs> I didn't know how to say what I wanted to say, but, uh, thank you to all of you for listening. We'll catch you on the flip side. So long everybody.